Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. And the rest of you, if you'd please open your Bibles to the first chapter of Romans, Romans chapter 1. Uh, years ago, before I went to seminary, I worked at uh, an organization called the Indiana Manufacturers Association. I remember um, a day when <clears throat> a friend of mine and I were headed to lunch, and uh, we got to the restaurant. The restaurant was actually located on the bottom floor of a fairly large building in downtown Indianapolis, and so we were um, there in the foyer of this building waiting to get into the restaurant. And there was an elevator there on that bottom floor, and the elevator came down. Again, my friend and I are standing, waiting to get into the restaurant. Elevator comes down, doors open, and uh, a man walks off the elevator and just catches my eye. And I'm looking at him, and he looks at me, and he says to me, I just learned that I have cancer. And apparently, the doctor's office was, was upstairs. And he was just astonished. He, he'd just gotten this news, and you could tell he was just wrestling with this. Um, he only had a short period of time to live. It was a pretty serious situation. And, you know, it's been a long time. I can't remember exactly how he said it, but he said, you know, I just feel like I need to talk with people about this. And, and you know, I just want to, I mean, why not? I just want to buy somebody lunch. And he just looked at me and said, I just want to buy you and your friend lunch, and let's just sit down and talk about this. And it's just haunted me uh, since that day that I just looked at him and I just said, no thanks. I just felt uncomfortable. Um, I had plans to hang out with my friend. I guess I didn't want those disrupted. I didn't know who this guy was. I'd just seen him for the first time. I didn't know if this was some kind of a scam. I'm in a big city. I mean, I don't know the way people operate down here. I just got cold feet. Um, I didn't know what my friend would think if we went in and had lunch with this guy that we'd never met before. And I was a Christian at the time, so I, I, you know, I remember thinking this would be an opportunity to share the gospel. But I passed. I, I was just reluctant to move in to that situation, a wide-open opportunity to share the gospel with someone ready to hear it. And I punted. Uh, I don't know, maybe some of you can share in that experience. Maybe some of you have been through something like that. There's just this wide open opportunity. And for whatever reason, you looked the other way. You walked across the street. You changed the subject. Because you just didn't want to go there. You're just reluctant. Isn't that true? Aren't we, generally speaking, just reluctant to talk to people about the gospel? There's just something uncomfortable and scary about it. The Apostle Paul was so different than that. Whereas we tend to kind of dread situations where we might have to talk to someone about the gospel, Paul was thrilled about it. We tend to shrink back from those opportunities. Paul entered into those opportunities. We are often reluctant, but Paul, he was eager, eager to preach the gospel. And what I want to consider this morning from Romans 1, 8 through 15, is what it is that made him so eager 
to do that. We are in a sermon series uh, now called The Greatest Letter Ever Written, Romans. We're going to be going through Romans, one passage at a time. We began last week, so this is our second sermon in the series. And uh, we'll be reading verses 8 through 15 uh, to see and learn about Paul's eagerness to share the gospel. So if you have that, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Romans 1, 8 through 15. Paul says this, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. God, would you please, by your spirit, open our eyes to behold wonderful things in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You notice there the very last verse, chapter 15, Paul says, I am eager to preach the gospel. So, it's from that verse that um, I get the title to this message. Paul, eager to preach the gospel. What is it that made him so eager? Two things here, just two points this morning. Um, The first one is this. What made Paul eager to preach the gospel is his relationship with the church. Relationship with the church. Now, just as some brief review, um, this is Paul writing this letter to Christians who are in the city of Rome. And there was some preacher here last week that said that this book was written at 57 to 59 B.C. Um, That was actually me, and that was wrong. Um, I don't know how that got past me. It wasn't like I actually believed that and intended to put that uh, on the slide and to say that it just slipped past me. Uh, Several of you pointed that out to me, and I want you to know I'm grateful for that. It reassures me you're paying attention, so uh, that's good. The book was written 57 to 59 A.D., and uh, Paul actually did not plant this church in Rome, and I think that's significant as we look at this passage here, because we see the affection, the commitment, the passion that Paul has for this church, and I just think it's even more remarkable that he has this when he's never even met these people in this church. Uh, This wasn't the church that he planted. He'd never even been to Rome, I don't believe. And yet he has this affection and commitment to this church. And he shows it in three different ways. Paul's commitment, his relationship to the church. First way we see this is that he is thankful for the church. You see that in verse 8. He says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. 
And the reason why he's thankful is because their faith has been proclaimed in all the world. So apparently Paul has heard something about this church. He didn't plan it. He hasn't been there. But word has gotten around that God is at work in this place. Their faith, their commitment to Jesus is getting a reputation. And people all over the world are hearing about what's going on at the church in Rome. And, you know, that's a good evidence that something is happening in your church when other people in the community are talking about you. And that's what happened here with the church in Rome. We wonder maybe how did Paul get this information about the church in Rome. It might have happened in Acts chapter 18. You know the story about Priscilla and Aquila. They met Paul, and it says in that passage that they were from Rome, actually. And so they probably left the church in Rome, met Paul, sat down with Paul and said, man, you wouldn't believe what God is doing. You wouldn't believe all the people getting saved. You wouldn't believe um, all the ways that God is blessing and protecting us. And so Paul hears of this, and he's thankful. Um, The church has a reputation. My wife is reading a book called Escape from North Korea. And in that book, there is uh, a story about a person who leaves North Korea, flees, gets into China, and uh, the person meets a Chinese Christian who speaks Korean, and the person speaks to this North Korean uh, who doesn't know where to go, is just kind of lost, and the person says, what you need to do is look for a building with a cross on it, because the people in those buildings help people like you. They help North Koreans. The Chinese church had gotten a reputation for being a community of mercy and compassion and grace, and the word got out. Um, That's a good sign. And by way of application here, we ought to rejoice when we hear good things about what goes on in other churches, you know, because sometimes churches can be kind of threatened when they hear about the growth that goes on in other churches. Sometimes there can be a kind of a competition mentality that sets in with churches, and you would think that that could have been the possibility here with Paul. Maybe he'd be thinking, that's not my church. I didn't plant that church. I didn't set the vision for that church, and yet their faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. But faith, uh, Paul doesn't see that as a threat. Paul is grateful. Paul gives thanks to God, and we should do the same, giving thanks to God for his work in any church where the gospel is being preached, whether that church dots every I and crosses every T like us, whatever denomination or tradition that church comes from, if God is at work, we ought to be thankful. And that's what Paul displays here. He's thankful, but he's also prayerful. There's another way that Paul shows his affection for this church. He is prayerful for them. You see this in verse 9 and in 10 also. He says, God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers. I mean, how many churches do you pray for that you have never visited and for whom you have no knowledge whatsoever? And yet this is what Paul is doing. I've been praying for you without ceasing. Now, that's a very easy thing to say to someone, right? We do this very often. I'll pray for you, we say. And then, let's just be honest, sometimes we don't pray like we said we would. And what Paul says here is, I want it to be clear that 
I really have been praying for you, because that's why he says at the beginning of verse 9, God is my witness. God will testify. When we get to glory one day, you can ask God if I was telling the truth, and he's going to say, yes, I have been praying for you, church at Rome. That's how much I am thankful for you, and that expresses my affection for you. And then one last way Paul shows his affection for the church is that he longs to visit them. And you see this in verse 11. I long to see you, he says. I long to see you. Um, At the end of verse 10, too, he says, uh, hopefully, that by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. He, He wants to visit. He wants to be close to the Christians at Rome. He wants to hang out with them. He wants to fellowship with them. He wants to have conversations with them. He doesn't just want a distant relationship. He wants to connect with them. And he explains further the reason why he wants to visit. Verse 11, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Now, we're not sure really what Paul has in mind here when he says spiritual gift. Um, It it could be just some spiritual gift that he happened to have and that he wanted to bring to the church to bring encouragement to them. He doesn't mention exactly what that is. But that's one reason why he wants to visit the church in Rome. He wants to encourage them through a spiritual gift. But there's another reason why Paul wants to visit this church in Rome. And we see this in verse um, 12. He says, that is, uh, let's see, end of verse 11, some spiritual gift to strengthen you, verse 12, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. This, I think, is a remarkable statement. Here's Paul. Remember who Paul is. You would think that there might be a temptation for Paul to come into this church in Rome and say, Apostle Paul is in the house, everybody, you know, you, you may come and kneel at my feet and kiss my hand and bring me gifts because I am the Apostle Paul. That This is Paul, set apart as an apostle, commissioned specifically by Jesus to proclaim and teach the gospel. This is the same Paul who wrote a good portion of the New Testament, a man who wrote Holy Scripture. This is Paul, the man with this brilliant intellectual mind. This is Paul, the one who... Um, received special revelations from Christ. And he comes into Rome, and what he acknowledges here is not just that he wants to bring a spiritual gift to bless the Romans, but he comes expecting that the Romans are going to be a blessing to him. And what great humility this is from Paul. Paul, the guy who has been set apart for the special purpose, comes to Rome and he says, you know what? I'm going to try to bless you, but i got to tell you, I need you too. I need you Christians in Rome. I need encouragement. You know, going from city to city, planting churches and being persecuted is not easy. And I want to be encouraged by you. Verse 12, you see that? That we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. My faith will encourage you, but I want your faith to encourage me. Paul needed 
his relationship with the church in order to be eager to preach the gospel. He needed to be connected to other Christians. And if Paul needed that, how much more do you? You need the church. You need brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, do you ever think of what a blessing it is to live in this country and to not have to go underground to find other Christians with whom you can fellowship? Paul knew that he was in need. And he expressed that to the Romans. He needed their prayers. You need to hear stories like the one that Linda gave us. You need to hear about people getting saved, people brought up in atheist homes and yet coming to faith in Jesus. And you probably also need to hear stories like the one I told, where I completely chickened out and squandered a perfect opportunity so that you can know that you're not the only ones who struggle to share the gospel. These are the kinds of stories we need to hear. These are the kinds of uh, mutual encouragement that we need to share as a church. And I would suggest that if you don't have that regular fellowship with other Christians, connection to the church, you will not be eager to preach the gospel. You need that. And this is one of the things that was central in Paul's passion for the gospel. One other point here. Paul's not only got this great relationship with the church, but he also has a sense of an obligation to the world. Paul's obligation to the world. What an interesting contrast this is, isn't it? That Paul has this very humble attitude toward the church when he could be very prideful. But he has a very bold attitude toward the world when he could be very fearful. Paul has a bold attitude toward the world. Again, verse 13. I want you to know, brothers, that I have intended to come to you uh, again, he's been saying this several times. I'm trying to get there, and I've been prevented, he says here. We don't know exactly what it was that prevented him from coming, but something has kept him from getting there. But he wants to get to Rome, and the reason why is because in verse 13, he wants to reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. He's hoping that there's going to be a spiritual harvest, that he's going to come and be able to participate in proclaiming the gospel, seeing people saved and seeing a harvest being raised up by God's grace. So he's bold. He wants to get to Rome as soon as he possibly can. And what's so remarkable about this is because of all the reasons that Paul had to actually be very reluctant he had lots of reasons to be fearful about going to Rome. This is a picture of, uh, of Rome, a depiction of what it perhaps looked like <clears throat> in Paul's day. Uh, there were about a million people in Rome. It was a very populated city. It was not known for being friendly to Christianity. There were a number of different um, cultic temples established throughout the city, um, the idea that there is only one way to be accepted by God, exclusivity was unheard of in the Roman city and among the Roman religions. And here comes Paul with this message that Jesus is the only way to the Father. That was certain to bring about a certain amount of persecution and discrimination, which indeed occurred in Rome. In Rome. And in fact, Paul 
eventually was executed in this city. He's got a lot of reasons to be reluctant. He's got a lot of reasons to find something else to do besides go to Rome and preach the gospel. And we also see from Scripture that Paul himself actually um, was not apparently a very impressive person. He was very brilliant, as we know, but look what it says here in 2 Corinthians 10. Paul's talking about the Corinthians, and he says they say that Paul's letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. He writes well. We like reading his letters, but he doesn't preach well. He's not a very impressive individual. We don't get a physical description of Paul in the Bible, but tradition does provide us um, some description of what Paul might have looked like. And according to tradition, he had a hooked nose, bowed legs, and bad eyes, was bald, and was small. He, He was not known for being an attractive man. So here's Paul with his physical... Um, foibles going to this very cosmopolitan city. He has every reason to be reluctant and fearful. But no, he's bold. I'm trying to get there. I'm doing everything I can. So what is it that makes Paul so bold to get to Rome? And the answer to that, I think, is in verse 14. What makes Paul so bold is this. He says, I am under obligation. I'm under obligation. The King James Version translates this, I am a debtor. I am in debt. To whom is Paul obligated? To whom is he in debt? Well, it says uh, at the end of verse 14, to Greeks and barbarians, to all races of people, to the wise and to the foolish, to all education levels. He feels an obligation. He, in some way, thinks of himself as in debt to the people there in Rome. Now, there's a couple of ways that we can be in debt to somebody, right? Somebody can lend you $1,000, and until you pay that person back the $1,000, you're in debt to him. But that's not the kind of debt that Paul has in mind here. Another way you can be in debt to somebody is like this. Let's say Bill over here gives me $1,000 and tells me to give the $1,000 to Jim. In that case now, I'm indebted not to Bill, I'm indebted to Jim. Bill has entrusted me with something and told me to get it to somebody else. And until I get it to that other person, I am obligated to that person. I am in debt. And that's how Paul viewed himself, as one to whom the gospel is been given, and until he gets that gospel to Rome, he is in debt. Now, there there is this difference here between Paul and us. Paul was an apostle, so he was set apart for this specific purpose. Not everybody is an apostle. There are no apostles in this room right now. So there is a difference between God's calling on Paul and God's calling on you. And I think there's a difference even between God's calling on me as a pastor and his calling upon you. I think I have um, a greater responsibility to preach the gospel because I've been set apart for that as an ordained minister of the gospel. But nonetheless, friends, Jesus has said to everyone who calls himself or herself a disciple that you are my witnesses, all of us. He has said that we are all called to be fishers of men and women and children. 
And so there is a sense in which, friends, all of us together are in debt to the world to get the gospel to them. We as a church, New Life Presbyterian Church, is in debt to Muncie in Yorktown and Delaware County. We have an obligation to get the gospel to them because God has given us that gospel. First of all, he gives that gospel to us that we might be saved. And right, we've heard about it. God in his mercy has made sure that we have heard about Jesus, what Jesus has done, that he has come, he has shed his blood, he's died on the cross to take the penalty for our sins. He's been resurrected from the dead for our salvation and our justification. And we believe that. That's the gospel. It's that we turn away from all of our moral efforts and all of our striving to earn God's approval, and we shift our confidence and trust to what Jesus has done. And if that's you, you're a Christian. You've heard the gospel, and that's the first reason, the first priority why God has gotten the gospel to you, that you would believe and be saved. But there's another reason why God has given you the gospel, and it's so that you would give it to others, that you would Preach the gospel. Share it with people in your neighborhoods, in your households, in your workplaces, and in your communities. We're in debt. Look how else Paul talks about this. 1 Corinthians 2. Just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please men, not to make sure that everybody in our culture approves of what we're saying, but to please God, who tests our hearts. And he goes on, and he says, Necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. And I would say, woe to us as a church if we are not seeking to get the gospel out these doors to our community and to the world. I mean, what is the greatest need of Delaware County? Is it economic development? Is that its greatest need? That, that is a need, and that's an important thing. But is that the greatest need of this community? Is it more education? Is it fixing all the potholes in the road? It's an important priority, I agree. Is that the most fundamental need of the people in Delaware County? Is that what they need the most? What people in this community need more than anything is reconciliation to their creator. That's the most fundamental need, and there's only one way that's going to happen. If the gospel gets to them, they repent of their sin and trust in Jesus. What a privilege this is. God has entrusted us with this. But this is what I think is making God, uh, Paul so bold. It's a big city. I've got bowed legs and bad eyes. I'm a bad speaker, but I don't care because I've got to get the gospel to people who haven't heard it. And so I'm going to Rome, and I'm probably going to die there. But I'm obligated to get the gospel to the lost. Does this change your attitude at all about, the, about evangelism? When you think about sharing the gospel, I would just challenge you to, to not be thinking about it as this kind of optional add-on to your faith, but to think about it as an obligation. And the good news, friends, is that you're not called to do this on your own as an isolated individual. We're doing this together as a community, as a church. We can lean on one another. And there are a number of ways 
here at New Life that we are seeking to reach our community with the gospel as a church. So I want to explain these to you as I ask the musicians to come forward as we get ready to conclude. Three quick ways that we are seeking to get the gospel to our community in response to the obligation we have to them. Hope for Muncie, this is... um, a church plant that we have been talking to you a lot about. Josh Hollowell is our church planter, and we're hoping to send him into downtown Muncie to plant a church. This is uh, some art from an upcoming website, so keep an eye on Hope for Muncie. Uh, that's going to be the web address, and you'll learn more about that church plant in the future. Um, but we're very excited about this as a way of getting our presence into the urban area of Muncie with a specific goal toward a multicultural church plant. Uh, a number of ways that you can contribute and help to that. You should talk to Josh or me uh, about that. Uh, the second way is through Christianity Explored. This is a seven-week evangelistic course. My wife and I are going to be Uh, leading another one of these starting on June 4th on Thursday evenings. If you're here thinking, I'm not even sure if I'm a Christian, you're here for the first time, and you want to know more about the gospel, what it is to believe in Jesus, this is what you need to attend. Um, If you're interested in getting involved in evangelism, and you want to see how that's done or how this course helps, then Mary and I would love to have you come alongside and, and help us and sit in on these classes, and maybe one day then you could be ready to lead a class of your own. Uh, I'd be happy to talk with you more about that. There is a sign-up sheet in the uh, welcome booth about that. That's starting June 4th. And then the third thing is what you've already heard about here this morning from Marianne. Um, Kids in the Meadow. What what a a wonderful opportunity this is for us to come together as a church to spread the gospel to Yorktown. Monday nights, every Monday night, 5.45 to 8 p.m., starting June 1st, uh, through June and July, every Monday night in June and July, in Morrow's Meadow, the park right over here in Muncie, uh, excuse me, in Yorktown, um, we're going to get together and uh, play music and serve food and play some games and have some crafts and meet children and give the gospel to children. And we're going to have lessons for parents as well. The parents of the children will be invited to hang around and have uh, the opportunity to go through some Bible lessons that Pastor Brian is preparing. And so we've got, I don't know, what is that, eight or nine Monday nights when we can get together as the community of faith and show the love of Christ to our community. Uh, I just want to encourage you, let's do this. I I hope that there is more people wanting to help than we have room for signups out there in the foyer. You'll see the board if you go through this back door. Turn right, you'll see a sign-up sheet. We need people to handle registration, to handle food, uh, to set up, to clean up, to oversee groups, to teach. Um, So many opportunities uh, for you to contribute. So uh, consider that, please. Consider how you might contribute. Uh, Thanks so much to the children's ed team and all those who have been working to prepare this. I'm, I'm really excited about this. Um, Our goal, we we want to be eager to preach the gospel because we want all the peoples in the world to praise the name of Jesus. Uh, What a privilege. What an opportunity. Let's move forward in faith. Let's pray. Lord, we do graciously thank you so much because you have chosen us and entrusted us with such a weighty but privileged responsibility. We praise you, Father, that you have saved us 
by grace and that you've given us the message of grace to communicate to others. Bless these ministry efforts of this church and grow your kingdom in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.